wasn't that disgusting. <laughs> you have your morning of stomach ache going on. Now, no, that was adorable, right? Uh, hey, good morning, North Point. How are we doing? Are we doing okay today? <clears throat> Half of you are? That's fantastic. I'm sorry for the rest. I ask that every Sunday because I recognize man, some Sundays, some days are just hard to get up and do, right? I mean, some days we just wake up exhausted and we're hurt and we're tired and whatever. And then other days, man, you just wake up ready to tackle life. And so even though I know it's awkward if today's the day where you're like, I'm not ready to do anything today, you're probably not going to chant that from the back like, yeah, I'm, I hate it, you know. But, that, but I'm here with you, man. I, I understand if today you are tired and burnt and whatever, and uh, I'm going to try and, and talk to you. I'm going to try and keep it live. We'll try and keep it interesting. If you're brand new to North Point, um, uh, we're so glad you're here this morning. Some books are going to make their way by and we would love it if you're brand new or if you've been here a hundred times, if you would just put your info in there just tell us you're here. We love that. And another minute or so, our offering is going to go by this morning. And if you consider North Point your home church or if you just feel prompted to, we'd love it if you'd, you'd just participate in that with the Lord. Just I'll get a little bit uh, towards what God's doing here and through North Point. I am super excited to be here this morning. I love actually going to church. Go figure. Not just because I get up, get up in the front and everyone has to look at me, although I guess I'm an attention hound, but I love church. I love the fact that we get to worship a God who loves us. I'm super excited today because I love starting stuff. And today we start a new series. If you've not been with us for the last few weeks, we just finished a series called Really God? Tackling some tough stuff, some very pertinent stuff to our contemporary cultural climate, some stuff that matters today, and some very controversial and difficult topics. So if you've not been with us for the last few weeks, you can go online, you can catch all those sermons via audio, and uh, listen, catch up if you want. But today we start a brand new series that we're going to call Better Together. And so you saw that adorably disgusting video because... Life's just better together. And we want to talk about that for a few weeks. You see some cutouts on the walls. I mean, these are guys or individuals that are doing life alone. And that's an option. That's an option. God gives us some options. We can do life by ourselves. But in four weeks, what I want to try to do is convince us of something. I want to try and convince you, uh, me, us, of something that is revolutionary, that will change your life, your priorities, what you think about when you get up in the morning, the way you live, and it causes you to question everything. I want to try and convince us of something that will rock our worlds, at least most of our worlds. And it is this concept, because I want to be real upfront, right from the beginning, no hidden agenda. The thing I want to try and convince us of is that life is truly better together. That life is better and best lived to be done in the context of authentic, healthy, Christ-centered relationships. So that's what we want to talk about over the next four weeks. See if I can convince you that while you can choose to live life like this guy all by himself, or choose to live life like this guy all by himself, life is best lived like these guys together. Now, full disclosure, this whole series was designed by an introvert. (laughs) That's me. I know that might sound weird to some of you, like to hear that I'm an introvert, but I am 100% card-carrying, flag-waving, leading the club of introverts, which is a club of my own, by the way. I'm alone in it, uh, because all the introverts have our own alone club. Uh, I'm an introvert by nature. Like, um, it it doesn't mean that I don't like being with people. I I do like being with people, but, but it exhausts me. It drains me. Uh, Matter of fact, Sunday, Sunday is probably my most 
people day. Like I'm with the largest amount of people. And I love it. I love being here. I love hanging with you and talking with you. But after Sunday's over, I go and I spend a couple hours with my life group, which is a smaller group of people. And then I go home and I completely check out. Sometimes I call it things like hanging out with my kids, which looks a lot like this. Which is cool because my, my teens aren't here so I can mock them. My teens look like this at me sometimes. That's perfect. We're in a relationship together. But I'm just saying, I go home and sometimes I'll get in a book or I want to be in my iPad for a little while. I just kind of veg out because that's how I'm wired as an introvert. doesn't mean that I don't like people. It just means that being with lots of people tends to take my energy and I just need to recharge my batteries by being alone. Now, compare that to my friend Rick Rubel. You want to guess what Rick is? Rick is the card-carrying extrovert. Rick, on a Sunday morning, his probably his biggest people day of the week, talking to five, six hundred people, he goes home from a Sunday after that and thinks, where are some more people? Right? He goes home and wants to connect with more. He's jazzed and fueled and ready to go and looking for people to come and hang out at his house for the rest of the night. Just kidding, don't do that. Because he's married to, well, it doesn't matter. Anyways, because I only told Rick I'd talk about Rick. So the, the point is, Rick loves people. And I love people. And we love being together with people, but at the same time, I, as an introvert, am drained by being with people. And Rick, as an extrovert, is fueled up by being with people. And this series where I want to try and convince us in four weeks that life is better together is written by an introvert. Now, here's the point. If you're an introvert in here, raise your hand. No, I'm just kidding. You'd never raise your hand. Okay, one, the people in the back. There's a couple in the back. <laughs> but if you're an introvert, you've already checked out of the series probably. You're like, people together, I'm not, I married somebody, I'm good. Good. You've probably already checked out of the series, and I just want to say, introverts, like, I'm with you. I'm with you, but give me four weeks to see if we can convince us that life is truly better together and what that can look like. Now, not only am I an introvert, and I recharge my batteries by being alone, but I have a really small social tank. So a couple of people, I'm, that's all I really need. And other people, extroverts, some extroverts in particular, have large social tanks. And so they they want to be like hundreds and hundreds of people. And so the introvert, you know, I say, hang with me for four weeks. Let's see if I can convince you of that. Because a problem, sometimes a tendency problem for us introverts is that we're maybe wired and lean towards hiding. Because we recharge our batteries naturally by being alone. And so it sometimes tends to lean us towards hiding. Now, if you're an extrovert in here, you're already in the series. You're like, yes, finally, something I can sink my teeth into. You've already slapped the introvert next to you, and you've said, finally, you can get some Jesus, right? You're like, finally, right? The Bible, I'm in, okay? And extroverts, sometimes you guys have huge social tanks and hundreds of people, and it fuels you, and you love it. But sometimes the tendency problem for extroverts is that you might have hundreds and hundreds of relationships, but none of them are deep or authentic, And so there's a potential problem for introverts and there's a potential problem for extroverts. So whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, a large social tank requiring lots of people to fill it or a very shallow baby tank requiring very few people to fill it. Over the next four weeks, I want to try and see if we can convince all of us that life is better together. And life is designed to be lived in the context of healthy, authentic, Christ-centered relationships. So there you go. That's where I'm going. If you don't come back for the next four weeks, I'll take it personal and I will cry. But that's okay because I cry a lot. Just kidding. You notice some Legos up here, right? 
Hey, uh, now, some of you love raising your hands, and some of you hate raising your hands when people ask stuff from the front. I get it. As an introvert, I was just at a conference for the last couple of days, and the people kept saying, hey, raise your hand if... And I'm like, I'm not raising my hand. I don't care. They're like, raise your hand if you're alive. I'm like, shut up. I'm not doing that. Right? And so I get it. I'm okay if you don't want to raise your hand. I'm completely fine with that. But for the extroverts in the room, how many of you guys ever played with Legos when you were kids? That's everybody, because people who didn't raise their hand don't want to raise their hand. Right? And I get that. Every, probably everybody played with Legos when you were a kid, right? And frankly, a lot of us bought Legos for our own children. Yeah, there, there, amen, right? I'm with, right? And there's something about Legos that are just so cool. So we have Legos up here on the platform, and we're going to talk about Legos. And this is what I want to read to you this morning, just a little bit about the Danish company Lego. This is what it says. The Danish company Lego is one of the most successful companies of all time, or at least many corporate insiders believe this, and it was twice named Toy of the Century, beating out Mattel's Barbie and the teddy bear. That's a big deal. Why? In reality, all they make is a kid's toy, and frankly, they really don't even make a kid's toy. They make a series of interlocking bricks. They make small plastic bricks that destroy vacuums and cause fathers excruciating foot pain at 3 a.m. when stepped on. So why has Lego been so successful for well over 50 years? Well, it's simple. Every Lego brick is only designed to do one thing, to connect. Each brick, regardless of the shape or the size or the color, are all designed to do the same thing. They connect. And they all connect in two directions, on the top and on the bottom. And the crazy thing is that people are all created to do the same exact thing, to connect. We're designed to do the same one thing, connect at the top to God and connect at the bottom to others. And like Lego, when the connections begin, the possibilities are limitless. We want to use this imagery of a Lego piece because I think there's such power in an image of something that's designed to connect. And that's all it's designed to do is connect. Um, I have a friend who's actually a Lego expert. His job, well, I, I don't think he has, I think he's actually, not, I don't think he's employed. I think he's unemployed right now. But all he does all day is play with Legos. And, um, and he is the guy I know that's like the Lego expert. This guy knows more about Legos than, than anybody I know, frankly. And so I spent uh, a couple hours with him a few weeks ago just trying to understand like, help, help us as North Point get our head around this concept of why Legos, simple bricks that are only designed to connect, why they're so alluring and intriguing and interesting and just we love them. Whether we're 4 or 14 or 41, we just love Legos. And so my Lego expert uh, let me interview him on video, and we put a little video together just to try and help us shape our heads around why Legos are so uh, interesting. So here we go. Oh, my favorite, yeah. one of my favorite creations is just at school, made the black M, and then, so, I mean, that's awesome. I mean, I don't know about those Michigan State fans out there, but this is real awesome. Yeah. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> yep, you're shy. <laughs> 
Well, we're in my basement and like right underneath the living room. So um this is kind of where I build in our family built playroom. And um so kind of like where I build, got my little Lego folder there. Is this the answer I usually give people when whenever they ask that? Too many to count. <laughs> well, that would be awesome. Because, I mean, I'd just be, like, doing all kinds of fun stuff. Just doing, like, everything in my life's desire, technically. <laughs> just playing with Legos constantly, and I get paid for it. <laughs> Well, so say I had like this one Lego piece right here, well, there's nothing really to build on to, so you know, what's the point? The Legos, you're supposed to, you're supposed to put them together, because with one Lego piece, you can't do anything with So, like, no, just, uh, Lego piece, nothing you can do with it. But when you put a ton of them together, you can make all kinds of things, like submarine, um, Darth Vader's TIE Fighter, I'm Kayla Longoria. Legos are better together. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. My, my Lego expert is unemployed because he's 10. So just to share that with you. Uh, it was cool listening to somebody. And I don't know if you caught what Caleb said there in the middle. I just want to be sure we caught it. I said, the question was asked, why not just have one Lego piece? And he kind of looked at me with those eyes like, are you, what, are you crazy or something? That's dumb, you know. And he, and he said, well, what, what would you do with one piece? But when you put them together, you can make some cool things. And I think that there's something to that concept right there that talks about the fact that life is better together. Matter of fact, this concept of life being better together, the image of the Lego block is really the definition of discipleship. See, at North Point, we say we're all about discipleship. And we've used this phrase to describe what discipleship looks like in the North Point context. We've said it's helping all people move toward a life fully devoted to Jesus Christ. Helping all people move to a life fully devoted to Jesus Christ. That is the heart of discipleship. That's what Jesus talked about when he left the planet and told his guys to go into all the world, teaching and preaching and baptizing. This idea of discipleship, helping all people move toward a life fully devoted to Christ. Connecting with God, right? and connecting with others, the picture of the Lego block. And so that's what we want to talk about today. We want to start right at the beginning and trying to convince us that, that life was designed to be lived in the context of relationships. I don't want to preach Legos. I don't want to preach groups, although we'll talk about groups, but I just want to preach the Bible and talk about what Jesus says, because I think this is stuff that he talks about. So this morning we want to start right in the beginning in Genesis chapter 1. And I want to just look at one season of history. And this is what we're going to do over the next few weeks. Just look at four separate seasons of history and and, and kind of try to understand God's intention for us doing life in the context of relationships. Life being better together. Genesis chapter 1. I know we looked at this just a little bit last week, but there is so much theology packed into the first three chapters of Genesis. We could come back almost every week and mine something else out of it. And I just want to look at this with us, and, and then we'll be done this morning, and we'll have a good time together. Genesis chapter 1. This might sound silly, but I actually looked in the Pewback Bibles. If you're using those Bibles, I looked to see what page number it's on. And I felt a little stupid afterwards because it's on page number 
Yeah, I thought there might be like other material ahead of it or something, like those other pages that I don't know what they are, but it's actually page one. So I'd like you to see this. If you don't have a Bible with you, if you don't have your iPhone or a tablet or something, please grab a pewback Bible. Verses aren't going to come up on the screen for this. I want you to see this because there's some words in here that are super, super powerful, and I want you to see that I'm not just making this up. Genesis chapter 1. Right in the beginning, it tells us that there was nothing and God began to create. And we get into verse 3, and God creates light. And towards the middle of verse 4, it says, And God saw that the light was good. And that's the end of the first day. We get into day 2, and God does a little more separating than creating. It's this thing he calls the expanse. That's the second day. And in day 3, in verse 9, it says, And God said, Let the waters... So we have this, this creation of waters and there's some gathering there. And in, the, in verse four, no, I'm sorry, in verse 10, the middle of verse 10, it says, and the waters were gathered together and he called them seas and God saw that it was good. And then the second part of day three in verse, let's see, 12, it says the earth brought forth vegetation. So God creates plants and those kinds of things. In the end of verse 12, it says, and God saw that it was Good. I think you're with me. And we got the end of the third day. We move into the fourth day. And God does some creating of some stars and, and, and sun and stuff. And we get down to verse uh, 18. The end of verse 18, it says to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. Right? At the end of the fourth day, we get to day five and verse 20. And he talks about the waters swarming. In the middle of verse 21, he talks about every winged bird. So he's making fish animals and sky animals. And at the end of verse 21, he says, and God saw that it was good. You're with me, right? I want you to be with me. Hang with me. We'll get another day. That's the end of day five. We jump into day six in verse 24. And it says that uh, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kind, livestock and creeping things that creepeth, all that stuff. And in verse 25, it says God made the beasts of the earth according to their kind. And on the end of verse 25, it says, and God saw that it was Good. God has created everything. Plants and animals and squirrels and deer hunters and and all this stuff and light and sky and oxygen. And at the end of every day, God says, that's really good. I, I like that. That's really cool. This is really good. Like he gets excited about everything that he creates. It's so good. I don't know if you've ever had that experience at the end of a day. You've done something. You've created something. You've mown the lawn. You've done a great job. You're like, that looks really good. I'm really proud. That's, I think that's God's picture. God looks at everything that he created, and he said, dang, that's really good. And each day, it's like it builds on it. Like, ah, that's even gooder than, that's even gooder. I don't know if it's a word. That's even gooder. Like, it was good. God declares everything he created in every day good. And then we get to the second half of day six. If you'd flip over to chapter two of Genesis. See, chapter one of Genesis is kind of the overview of what God did. In chapter two, he zeroes in, the author there zeroes in on day six and wants to tell us about a special creation. I know some of you have maybe heard this before or read this before or seen this before, but I want to see it again with fresh eyes because in chapter two, the author zeroes in on the how or maybe the why of God creating the next piece of his creation. Everything God created was so good. And so we get to chapter 2, verse 7. And it says, The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Keep your finger there. 
God says, I'm going to make the next thing, the pinnacle of my creation. It's day six. This is the best. Everything's been good or up till then. I'm going to make man. And he does it uniquely. He does everything else in creation. God spoke into existence. He spoke it and it happened, but not with man. God says, I'm going to do something unique and special. And as if God could get down on his knees, he did. And he got down deep into his hands and he grabbed some dirt and he made the coolest looking Play-Doh guy ever. Right? Little eyes, boop, boop. Little belly button, boop. Unless you have an Audi, boop. Right? And he made this creature. And then it says, God breathed the breath of life. Like God knelt down and breathed into this clay guy. And the guy animates. Boop, and it comes alive. And he's a living creature. This thing, this is, this is insane. This is awesome. God didn't just speak it and snap his fingers. He got in the dirt and he was intimate with this creation and he creates man and man and God have this conversation in verse uh, 15. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man. They had this conversation. He said, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden. I want you to eat everything you see. This is good and I created it for it. It's awesome. I said it was good. I want you to eat everything in the garden. Uh, But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat from that, because the day you do, you're going to start dying. Verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good. And you can read the words after that, and God describes what he's talking about, not being good. It is the only thing in creation God said was not good. The pinnacle of his creation, man who he got down on his knees and breathed the, the breath of life into and this clay man animates and they begin to have this conversation and God gives him tasks and relationship and he says, it's, it's not good. It's not good enough. The only thing in creation, God says, is not good. It's so huge. So in verse 18, God has a plan like God often does. Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So God has this plan. He says, it's not good that Adam's alone. It's not good that man's alone. I'm going to make a helper fit for him. And so in an effort to help Adam understand this, he says, Adam, I got a job. I want you to name the animals. I'm going to parade them all in front of you. And whatever you call them, that's what they'll be named forever. And so this one comes by his big, huge thing with little ears. And Adam says, hippopotamus, right? And there it is. It's a hippopotamus. And then there's this other thing that comes by and it's got, oh, giraffe, right? And there it is. And, and, and Adam names these animals, however that worked. And at the end of the naming, Adam says, there's, there's nothing here like me. Like, these are cool. These are so good. They're so cool, God. But there's nothing here like me. And God says, I know. I need you to see that. And so God had said his plan was going to be to make a helper fit for. That, that phrase, helper fit for, has been used uh, too often to say things that it doesn't say, to mean things that it doesn't mean. It's been used, that phrase sometimes has been used to somehow describe women as a second class citizen or a helper like you'll just make the copies when i tell you there's some dominance to manhood but feminine has got to be some uh, second class or or let or you are just to complete and finish the man it's just a little piece and the word there for helper fit for or some translations say suitable companion or some translations say a partner is really an interesting hebrew word it's actually two hebrew words two words azar and then a compound word ke 
Azar Kenegido. This is interesting words because Azar, matter of fact, it's a word that's used in a name sometimes in the Old Testament. Maybe you've heard the name Eleazar. If you've ever heard that name, it literally means God helps. Because the word Azar means help or to give aid. That's what it means. But it's interesting because that word is only used 21 times in the Bible. Two times it's used right here. It's used of this special creation, the solution to the problem of man not being good because he's alone. The solution is this, this Azar, this helper. The other 19 times that it's used in the Bible, it's always used of God. Always. And always because God was the help that was needed to a problem that existed. So I don't know what to make of all of that other than to use this word to somehow signify a less than citizenship or a less than class for females is totally outside the scope of the word. The word, I mean, unless you're going to say God is somehow a less than citizen or a less than second class. It's interesting that it's only used of woman and of God in the entire scripture. So we've got these two words, this word that means to give help or aid that's used of God and women. And then the second word, this kenegido, which is a compound word, which is incredibly complex. It's not used anywhere else in the Bible. It's only used here. Maybe like God had a special word for his special creation. I don't know. But, but, but translating it the best that we can and understanding it, it has these ideas of, of um, uh, corresponding to or um, uh, to be like or to be the same in manner as. So this idea of being the same. So the, the picture that we get from the English translation when it talks about a helper suitable, that's good, or a companion or a partner. Those are all good translations. But, but never think that somehow it's a second lower than or just a small piece of like, there is some deep, important value to the solution to the problem of man's aloneness not being good. And so God has this plan to create woman. So here we go. Let's, let's read how it goes down in verse 21. God's plan is to create this helper fit for this Azar Kinegido. And in verse 21 it says, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, God took one of his ribs and closed up that place with flesh. That's gross. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. This, this picture, God says, Adam, you see it. You named the animals. You recognize there's nothing like you. I have a special creation I want to make just for you because it's not good to be alone. He made Adam go to sleep, and, and the word for rib there, we translate it rib. It literally means a chunk of his side near the rib area. So, so God took a, a chunk out of Adam and, and created from that the second special creation woman. And he wakes Adam up and he says, Adam, here you go. This is the solution to the problem. And Adam's response to her is like, it's beautiful. It's poetic. He, he says this, look at in verse 23, he says this at last, finally, oh, finally, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Like finally something like me. Oh, God. And it's interesting because at the end of chapter 1 of Genesis, where God finishes talking about day 6, God declares the creation of man and woman to be very good. This is a cool, cool thing. Right from the very beginning, the first thing in terms of human relationships that God created was relationship. God didn't create just a person to live life, talking with God in the garden, in the cool of the day, every day. God created 
of relationship. And we could talk about marriage, and I, and I think it's certainly part of this, but I think the bigger picture here is that concept of relationship, that God intended from the very beginning life to be lived in the context of relationship. Healthy, authentic, Christ-centered relationships. And it's interesting because not, not only did that, that relational creation that God made there between Adam and Eve, not only did that relate for the two of them, but there's some sense where that relates to us as well. Like in some sense, we're related. We're in relationship to Adam. Matter of fact, in Romans 5, the verse will pop up on the screen behind me so you don't have to try and chase it down. The author describes it this way. He says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through the one man, Adam, and death through that sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned, For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification in life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, Adam, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Lots of words. I get it. Incredibly complex. High-level thinker who wrote this. Point being, we can't get away from relationship. Like what Adam did in the garden when he sinned, somehow we're in this relationship with him that we kind of own the responsibility for that. We kind of get the consequences for that. So the relationship that God created between Adam and Eve wasn't just for Adam and Eve. There's some connection to us as well. I find that super, super fascinating. Matter of fact, this whole sin problem that we talk about nearly every week here from the front, this whole sin problem, we got into it because of a relationship, this relationship that we have with Adam. And it's also interesting because the solution to that sin problem is a relationship, a relationship with Jesus Christ. Again, the point being, from the very beginning, life was designed to be lived in the context of relationships. Life is better together. And as much as the introverts may want to try to get away from that, we can't because relationship is just wired into us. Matter of fact, if we wanted to, we could go back even before Adam and Eve. We could go back before uh, uh, giraffes and hippopotamus and octopi and all those things were created. We go right back to the beginning when there was nothing except God. And this is what he says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Look at this because I'm going to try and trick you. I just, I just told you what I was going to do, but I'm going to try and trick you. Verse 26 in chapter 1 of Genesis, it says, uh, Then God said, Let me make man in my image after my likeness. Right? It doesn't say that. What does it say? It says, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Who, who's God talking to? <laughs> who's God talking to there? Uh, I, I mean, was God just existing by himself before he created anything else on the planet? If he is, then it's really weird that he says stuff like us and we, right? So it's interesting because John gives us the answer in John chapter 1. The verses are going to pop up behind me as well. But if you want to find it, that's cool. John chapter 1, another guy who's writing about beginnings. This is how he writes about the beginning in John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. He says, in the beginning was the Word. He's talking about a person, but he's calling him the Word right now. He says, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, talking about Genesis 1. And all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. 
In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jump down to verse 14. It says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jump to verse 17. It says, For the law was given through Moses, but this grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So it's clear who God's talking to in the beginning. He's at least talking to Jesus. We would say he's probably talking to the Holy Spirit as well. We've got these three uh, distinct personhoods of one God. And, and, and one day, maybe my friend Anthony will come and teach theology and then he'll make that really clear and understandable to you how the Trinity works. I don't know. But, but the idea being God is having this conversation with people, Jesus, Holy Spirit, that he's in relationship with. Why is that important? Because if God decided he needed to be in relationship God decided he wanted to be in relationship. How in the world can I decide I'm going to live life by myself? Like somehow I'm better at this life thing than God is. That's nuts. That's absolute lunacy, isn't it? And so God existed in relationship with Jesus, Holy Spirit. And then when he created man, he does it in such a way so he can say, this isn't good enough. I want to create relationship. And he does. He creates this perfect helpmeet for Adam so that they are in the context of relationships. And over the next few weeks, we want to keep talking about these concepts of relationship because I think at the end of the day, life is designed to be lived in the context of relationships because ultimately life is better together. This is sort of off topic, but it's interesting to me because this is not like a Christian principle or a church thing that we're talking about right now. I have, I have friends that are avowed atheists, like they've landed in a place where they say they are 100% convinced that there is no God, 100% convinced that religion is a joke. I find these conversations interesting because they pick on me sometimes because they say, oh, you have blind faith, you believe in a God because you can't prove it. And I'm like... You have blind faith. You say there is no God. You can't prove that. So what does that leave us? But anyways, none of that matters. Okay, so my, my atheist friends are interesting because um, the, 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 totally not into God, totally not into religion, totally not into church, and yet they have a church that they meet with. Now, they don't call it church, but they meet together with a group of people. They spend some time eating some stuff and kind of having some, what well, we would call it fellowship, but they just call it hanging out. And then they usually listen to some kind of a lecture or whatever. Usually it's a science lecture. And atheists are funny to me because they have this thing that we call church, but they're hardwired to realize they're craving relationships. So to say that life is better together is not a Christian thing or not a church thing. If you say, I, I'm not really a Christian. I'm not really, I don't have this Jesus thing. I'm just here because... I'm getting donuts later or whatever. Like, that's cool. I'm just telling you, you're hardwired for doing life in the context of relationships because life is better together. And so that's aside. We'll come back to it because here's where we want to kind of come down to. And I want to finish this morning Uh, where we start today, right from the beginning. I think it's clear that God designed us to live life in the context of relationship. I think it's clear that life is better together. Over the next three weeks, we want to jump into three different seasons of history. We want to look at the fact that God, God called a people to himself, not a person. That'll be so interesting. The fact that Jesus did life with others. Man, there's some crazy stuff there. And then the fact that this New Testament church was built in the context of relationships and not a solo gig. And in the midst of all of that, you, you are going to hear me and you're going to hear Rick talk about the fact that North Point really wants to help with that somehow. We really want to help create some opportunities where people can get connected in life together and do life 
together. We're going to call those life groups, and some of you are in them, and some of you are like, I'm never doing that again. And some of you are like, okay, what are you talking about? And we don't want to preach groups, but we want to preach what I think is true in Scripture. So you're going to hear us talk about how North Point wants to be part of helping with that. And so here's how we're going to finish today. We're going to sing a song, and then at the end of the song, I'm going to ask you guys, I'll come back up and say goodbye to you, but on your way out, you probably noticed that there's some baskets with Legos in them. So I'm just going to invite everybody to grab a Lego. Kids are like, yes, right? Uh, Grab a Lego, and I'm going to ask you to grab a Lego that best represents who you are. And so, like, uh, one of my friends this morning, she was showing me the Lego she grabbed. She got, like, the 12-banger. Like the big one, you know, the biggest one she could find in there. And she has a huge social tank. I know she does. She's an extrovert at her core. And, and then another buddy of mine pulled his one piece out of the pocket, you know, that single one. He's like, this is what I got. Don't tell anybody. I just told you all, right? You pick one that best represents who you are, your social tank, your introvert, your extrovert, whatever it is. Grab that Lego because, frankly, for me, I forget stuff. But when I have a trinket or when I have something sitting on my dashboard or my dresser or my office desk, I'm reminded of these things. And over the next four weeks, you'll pull that Lego piece out. It'll come out of your pants pockets. Your mom will get mad at you because, you know, it fell out in the laundry or whatever. And that's okay. It'll be good. Um, And just a way to think about this concept that life is better together. Let me pray for us. We'll sing and then we'll be done for today. Jesus, thanks for today. Thanks for the opportunity just to worship you and to be here. God, thanks that we have a place where we can do that in the context of relationships. Although if we're honest with you, Lord, some of us come late and leave early because we're a little afraid of doing this life in the context of others because we've been burnt and hurt and maybe we're introverts or maybe we're just at a place where we're like, I don't know, God. But I pray that you'd speak to our souls. I pray that you would help me, that you would help us to think through what it means to do life in the context of relationships because of what we need because of what they need and because of how you wired us and created us. I love you, Jesus.